and the ones that I am seeing through our live stream. Uh, we are going to be in the book of Ephesians, and we are making our way one book at a time through the entire Bible. You can see behind me the red blocks are the Old Testament books we've already covered, and the blue are the New Testament, though we don't have the Gospels up there that we were in in Advent. And so we're going to be going all the way through the summer until we've hit every single book of the Bible. And as we prepare to get into Ephesians, I want to give you kind of an umbrella sense of what this book, it's actually a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And there is kind of an umbrella verse that I think helps us understand what this whole letter is about. And this is from the first chapter, verses 9 and 10. God has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So this is what Ephesians is all about, but I think for our purposes, what I also want you to hear, this is what Jesus is all about. God's plan to gather up everything cosmically and everyone as one. Does that include Jews and Gentiles? This hopelessly divided two groups, hundreds and thousands of years of this history, which began with the law, telling the Jews to be set apart, holy as God's people, to protect the uniqueness of who God is and not mix with the gods of the people. But then it evolved into this mutual animosity and even hatred and name-calling. Very, very hostile. Does it include the Jews and the Gentiles? Yes, it does. And more than that, anywhere that there is a dividing wall of hostility. Jesus is about taking those barriers down, bringing everyone and everything together as one. All right, we are now ready to pray and to be in the book of Ephesians. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we want to hear you more than anything else. So we ask for your spirit to fill this scripture, to fill my words, to fill our ears and our, our whole selves to be receptive to what you are saying to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 11, listen to God's word to you. So then remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances 
that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. Used to be when I would go and visit my family in Visalia, I loved to go with my sister out to where she kept her horse, which was on a farm just outside of town. And it was great to go out there because it was beautiful. It was surrounded by orange groves and close to the mountains. And I would just kind of tag along as she did her routine, grooming her horse, feeding her horse. And she would take her dogs with her. They would run around. And so I was tagging along behind her as she went and got the hay and took the hay over to feed the horse and walking the horse. And as we were walking by this particular pen, it was a pen full of cows and her border collie, named Buzz, had basically rounded up all the cows, and they were in one corner of the pen. And there was Buzz going back and forth, keeping those cows all in the corner. And I just had to laugh. It was like, it was just so funny, because the cows looked so trapped, like, what's going on here? And the border collie basically was doing what a border collie does. And border collies are known for being herders, right? that they herd animals together, and so it just was hilarious. All these cows are in this one corner of the pen. And I think about that picture, and I think about the essence of a border collie, and I actually think about what is revealed throughout Scripture, but especially in our passage, about who Jesus is, the very essence of what Jesus is up to. And that is gathering gathering together as one, bringing down every barrier that divides us and making us one. We hear that in John 10, where Jesus talks about himself, saying, I am the good shepherd. And then at the very end of that passage, he says this, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is what Jesus is up to. This is his DNA, what he's about. You know, in Jesus' day, the temple uh, that was in Jerusalem, it was this rectangular-shaped building. It, I know that's a hard picture, too small to really see everything, but it still will give you a sense that on one end there was the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence. And then there was a thick curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from what was outside so that nobody could go in there except for the priest once a year. Then outside of that, there was this kind of consecutive layers and courtyards. There was the courtyard of men, 
Then there was the courtyard of women. And then outside that whole enclosure was the courtyard of the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles were not allowed to go into the courtyard of the Jews. And the women were not allowed to go in where the men were. And as I just mentioned, nobody was really allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And these separations were protected uh, so severely that you, it was punishable by death in some circumstances. So the Gospel of Matthew, at the very end of the story, he tells us that as soon as Jesus died on the cross, the very moment he breathed his last, this is the verse, at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So that barrier that separated God from all the worshipers was completely torn down and done away with. And according to Paul, so was every other barrier in that temple and around the temple, including that very well-protected barrier between Jew and Gentile. And we hear this in Galatians 3.28, a verse that has been quoted often. There is no longer Jew or Greek there is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. This is who Christ is. This is what Jesus is up to and all about. He gets rid of all the barriers and brings everything and everyone together as one. As we heard in our passage, let me read those words again. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one, has broken down the dividing wall, that is the hostility between us, that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So here's the question. If that is who Jesus is. What does that mean for who we are as his people and as his followers? Paul has a very intentional layout in this letter. There's six chapters, there's two parts. The first three chapters have been called the indicative, where Paul's talking about the truth about who God is. The latter three chapters have been mentioned as the imperative. What are we to do based on what we know about the truth about God? So the meaning of that is that we behave day to day in a way that should fit what we know and believe about who Jesus is. Now Paul says something similar at the end of our passage when he talks about all of us being built together as a dwelling place for God, and he mentions that Jesus is the cornerstone. Did you hear that? And you've heard it before. So the elders and the apostles are the foundation. We sang that earlier in our worship service. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And I did a little bit of research on what a cornerstone is, and one commentator explained it this way. Cornerstone in ancient building methods was the stone used by the architect builder to determine the lie of the whole building. So Jesus Christ is the pattern by which the church is being shaped by God. 
So if Jesus is the pattern, this is the pattern for us and how we live, which means we are to be people who gather, to break down every barrier that divides us, all the hostility, and to gather people together as one. We are meant to live lives, every detail of our lives, that fit that pattern. One of the things I love about Father Gregory Boyle, I have quoted him so many times because he is to me a wonderful example of someone who is crafting the details of his life day to day in a way that fits that pattern of who Jesus is. You've heard me mention it, but he is someone who has, for the last 30 years or so, worked with um, gang communities down in Southern California and L.A. He's helped start Homeboy Industries. And every time I've heard him speak, whether he's being interviewed or whether he's on a TED Talk or whatever it is, he invariably will say this. Imagine that there is a circle of compassion. And then imagine that nobody is outside of it. And when he gives that illustration, invariably he will reference Jesus' words when he said, I have come so that they may all be one, which is what Jesus said in John 17. Jesus is his pattern. Jesus is meant to be our pattern. In our small group, we were talking about this passage and we were talking about Ephesians and their whole study opened up with the question, what dividing wall of hostility would you most like to see come down? What dividing wall of hostility would you most like to see come down? And you can imagine the answers that came back the divisions going on in our country between Republicans and Democrats, between liberals and conservatives, also between the gap between rich and poor, the divisions and the hostility based on race. Certainly this week we are mindful of the shootings in Atlanta and what has been called Asian hate. There have been in the last year 3,800 anti-Asian hate incidents reported and people are confident that there's a lot more that were never reported. And for our purposes, it's important to know that 45% of those hate incidents were in California. So that's not the only reason that this should be on our horizon and something that we're caring about. It's more because of the pattern of who Jesus is and the cornerstone of who he is. Our presbytery sent out a letter several weeks ago denouncing this hatred that was being embodied in our own community in the, own, in the Bay Area. And then this last week, the Solidarity Cohort, this interfaith cohort, sent a letter also denouncing this behavior saying this, speaking directly to the Asian community, please know that your colleagues surround you with love and light during this time. We want you to know that you are not alone. We are with you. We see you. We witness your pain. We seek to be part of the healing through love and solidarity. 
So it's just this passage, you know, of being immersed in who Jesus is. What does his pattern lead us to do? And one of the things we see in Jesus is that he goes toward the pain. He lets the fullness of the hostility and the hate fall on him. He goes there. And I think that's something to consider. I find myself noticing that more and more that this is what Jesus did. Especially as healing comes from really empathizing and understanding what, what does that feel like for Asians to be afraid to go out because there's going to be an attack of some kind just because they're Asian. I think it's easy for us with these things in the news because they get overwhelming quite frankly to just say okay I don't, don't really want to think about that I can't really think about that but when it comes to those dividing walls of hostility Jesus' pattern is to go closer to the pain I was talking with someone yesterday who's reading the book by James Cone, The Cross and the Lynching Tree and just talking about how hard that book is to read just to be mindful of the lynchings that happened in that time between 1880 and 1940, just how horrific those star stories are about the 5,000 or so people that African, well, yeah, that were lynched during that time. And we were both talking about how important it is, though, to go toward that pain. Because if we don't empathize, then we really aren't able to be a part of the healing that Jesus is bringing. So I think the pattern of Jesus shows us to go closer to the pain, but I think the pattern of Jesus in this passage also shows us that we are to move away from demonizing. You know, it's interesting in this, in this passage as we move through it, we see how we move from the name-calling Gentiles are called the uncircumcision. They're called aliens. They're called strangers. And then they're moved to, then they start shifting the language to being called citizens with the saints and members of the household of God and a holy temple and dwelling place for God. So they're no longer this they, this group of demonized uncircumcision people. They are now members of our own household. They are people that are treasured as a part of the same household. I was talking with a friend of mine whose son works in downtown LA and just the homeless problem there. And just hearing her language as it, it was just a they, it wasn't really about people, you know, and stories that are also different as we know. She's talking about the RVs and, and just how frustrating it is um, to have this situation, which is a frustrating situation, but just to hear the language, it was more just a disgust with all of them. And so I started telling her about how some of the people living in RVs came and spoke to our interfaith clergy group and just talked about what it's like for them and how hard it is to find a safe place to be and how hard it is to afford housing and on and on and on. And as we talked and moved from the, the they, the disgusting they, to real stories and real people, it just felt closer to the pattern of Jesus, who moves closer to the pain and away from demonizing to humanizing. So is our behavior in Christ, in the pattern of Christ, or is it anti? Are we a part of tearing down the barriers, or are we a part of contributing to them? Sometimes I think it's just such, 
such a small thing of what we can do. This last week, I realized as I was being in a class taught by somebody who had a very strong accent, that it was easy to be filled with this resentment and to actually intentionally say to myself, no, I really need to work harder both to listen well and also to appreciate the teaching that's being brought here. That was hard to do, but I intentionally felt that that was important given what was going on in terms of the, the racial hatred. Every attitude matters. Every word, every act, does it fit the pattern, the lie of who Jesus is, the DNA of who Jesus is, as gatherer, one who tears down every barrier and brings us all together as one? Because friends, we have only one cornerstone, right? Only one cornerstone, only one pattern. And Jesus is pretty clear about what that pattern is. He's all about breaking down every dividing wall of hostility that exists with God, between us, the most long-lasting, the most impossible, and bringing all of us, all creation, together as one in him. So when Paul makes that shift in Ephesians from the indicative, this is who God is, to the imperative, okay, this is the way we are to live. This is the verse that's right there at the shift. This is the hinge. I want to close with this verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen.